0: want to get back to where we were last time we were together which is the 15th chapter of luke's gospel account we have been looking at the parables of jesus and we have covered several of them at this point many of them uh, we are familiar with some of which we were not familiar with we thought it would be important For us to take a glimpse at how Jesus taught and what uh, emphases Jesus was trying to make in his teaching to help us in our own personal walk. It's amazing how uh, timeless some of the teaching of Jesus is once we understand the context in which it was given. Many of his uh, uh, parables uh, are agricultural and agrarian in their nature. And if you're not from the farm, and I know some of you know something about farm life, I don't know nothing about farm life, don't want to know either. But uh, uh, for, 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 for those who are familiar with farm life, you, you might be able to have a frame of reference that's helpful. But once you uh, have an understanding of what it is that he is talking about, then you come to see that the underlying message of each of the parables is uh, actually relevant. Uh, to what we are dealing with right now. And uh, the parables that we are looking at uh, last week and this week are three parables that Jesus tells having to do with lostness. Uh, if you'll recall, and, and perhaps some of you were not here last week, uh, Luke chapter 15 opens with uh, the writer explaining how Jesus's popularity was growing among people that the Pharisees and the religious orthodoxy of Jesus' day had deemed to be sinners and not just sinners, but sinners that could not be saved. sinners that were lost people. And, and their criticism of Jesus is, why would he hang around people uh, of such ill repute? And Jesus's response was uh, saying that sick folk don't need, uh, uh, I mean, well folk don't need a doctor, sick folk do. But the, the point that he was trying to make is, be careful about who you think is lost. And be careful about who you think is irredeemable. Uh, he said that you have your priorities in the wrong place. You, you will celebrate the recovery of things, but you will not celebrate the recovery of people. Let's go back and look at the first two paragraphs. They're, they're very brief just in the way of review and bringing us up to speed with where we are, starting with the beginning, uh, well, with uh, verse 4 of chapter 15 of Luke. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you get home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Now... You have to understand, when Jesus says that, he's digging into the Pharisees. He's he, he, He's poking at them. The 99 in no need of rescue is a reference to the Pharisees because the Pharisees thought that they were so holy and they were so righteous that they didn't have a problem. Uh, remember, go, go back up to verse 2, the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like Old friends, so in response to that, Jesus is saying, "Yeah, if 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 one sheep gets lost, you will leave 99 to go find it and celebrate when you find it. And when you think about it, we mentioned this last week. The celebration that he uh, uh, that, that Jesus uh, describes uh, is far out of balance with what was uh, found. If you're going to have a celebration," that calls for you to call all your friends and neighbors and celebrate. And that means you got to feed all them folk. Then, 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 that, that's a major celebration for just one lost sheep. Jesus is saying that, that, that the celebration, the rejoicing over the one lost sheep is out of balance with, with, with what actually happened. It costs you more. That, think about it this way. If you were looking at it from a purely economic standpoint, it'd be better to just let the one sheep stay lost. Than than to go out, find it, risk losing 99, and then throw this extra lavish celebration that will cost you more money than the one sheep that you found is worth. And yet Jesus says that's what you would do over one lost sheep because you count the money, the value of the sheep as being that important. He says in heaven, the rejoicing is over the, 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 the recovery of a lost soul as opposed to the 99 that were safe. Now, the 99 that that were already safe, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's he's saying there's more rejoicing over a, a, a person who you have already deemed to be irrecoverable, being found and being brought back to God than over all you 99 safe folk. And then he tells essentially the same parable in a different way. Then he said, there was once a man who had... Uh, I'm sorry, or imagine a woman who has ten coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors. Celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. So in both the first and the second parable, Jesus likens His uh, reaching out to these so-called lost sinners, these irrecoverable sinners, to the recovery of lost things. And he's making a commentary about the Pharisees and their value system. He's saying that you have greater interest in the recovery of lost things than you do in the recovery of lost people. What a terrible indictment. And let's be clear. He's talking to church folk now it's not our church th- th- this is Jewish orthodoxy but he's talking to religious folk he's talking to saved sanctified Bible quoting Bible toting folk you know folk like that and he's saying how sad it is that you are more interested in the recovery of lost stuff than you are in the recovery of lost people he's saying that your value system is completely out of whack with Heaven's value system. Because while you will recover, you you will rejoice over the recovery of a lost sheep, and while you will, and understand, sheep ain't a pet. Uh, The the sheep represents a, 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 a unit of economic value because sheep were sold in order to make a living. It was a commodity. The lost coin was a commodity. It was money, and we tell you all the time, money uh, is, is, is a commodity and, and so he says how sad it is that you can be happy over the recovery of lost things but you can be condemning over the recovery of lost people so now we get to the third parable and the third parable is the one that most of us are familiar with but most of us are, are only familiar with the first part of it there, there are actually two parts to this parable uh, uh, there 's the part that has to do with the son who leaves home, and there 's the part that has to do with the son that stays home now it's it 's preacher 's fault that you only know half of it because preachers only preach half of it they, they they love preaching the boy coming over the hill, and the daddy seeing him off in the distance and and the daddy getting up off the porch and looking and saying, "Is that my boy and he runs and greets the boy and and, and he puts all the stuff on and and, and that 's where we hoop and close. And leave the rest of the story untold. But there's more to the story. And and the last part of the story is just as important, if not more important, than the first part of the story. Verse 11. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. If it's your Bible because I don't want you writing in the church's Bible. If it's your Bible, underline, highlight, right now. I know that's the message version. Whatever version you got, whatever the equivalent is that says right now, I want it now. I'm demanding it now. Right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country and he began to hurt. He signed on with the citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, All those farm hands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get the grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now fine. And they began to have a wonderful time. That's the first part of the story. Okay, so let's talk about the first part of the story. Jesus told two parables previous to this where he talked about the lost things, the lost items. Now he changes it from a lost item to a lost child. He wants to to bring this closer to home. He wants to hit the Pharisees where they live. Remember, religious orthodoxy said that there were some folk that were irredeemable, some folk that that, that could not be saved, and I don't know why Jesus would waste any time with those folk. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells a story where there are two sons of the same father. Every parable has a meaning. Who's the father in the story? God. Then who are the two sons? The two sons are God's children. That wasn't hard to figure out, right? But but, but here's the thing to understand. Both the son that stayed and the son that left were not only the father's sons, but they were brothers to one another. Jesus is making a point right off the bat. How can you be so unconcerned about folk that you have written off and said that they're no good and said that that they can't be saved when they are brothers and sisters of yours? Let's stop right there for a second. How is it that the church can be so cavalier about saying some folk can be saved and other folk can't be saved when we're all the creation of our heavenly father? I've said before, we're not all children, but we are all God's creation. There's a distinction between who's a child and who isn't, but the distinction has nothing to do with you. Let's be clear about that. The distinction has to do with whether or not you have surrendered to Jesus Christ. Everyone who surrenders to Christ is God's child. So that means you ain't got nothing. I got a brother and a sister. My parents didn't ask me nothing about whether or not I wanted a brother or a sister. In fact, I was in the middle, so one was here when I got here. And, and, and they, they, they didn't come to me and say, look, we think about having another. what you think about that? <laughs> but we're all, not just children of our parents, but we're brothers and sister to one another. And so... There is, there is a connection, even if you don't want it to be. There's a connection that you can't deny, that you can't reject, that you can't do anything with. You, I know we get mad with our siblings. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I don't care how mad you get with them; they still, you, you can. You can say stupid stuff because I've said stupid stuff. That ain't my sister. That ain't my brother. I don't know where they came from. they still yours. The connection is still real. And there's nothing you can do to change that. So you need to see this as not just that these were two children of this father, but they were two siblings to one another. Jesus is starting off making a point. Pharisees, scribes, religious orthodoxy, you are kin, you are related, you are siblings to these folk who I have taken to, but you have written off. And how sad it is that you would write them off so easily, that you could write off kinfolk so easy. The church has to be careful that we don't write off kinfolk so easy that, 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 that we don't just decide that because somebody doesn't think the way we think, doesn't act the way we act, that, that, that they can be written off as being irredeemable, as being unsalvageable, as being lost without the possibility of being found. Now, moving on from that, he tells us that there was something wrong from Jump Street with the younger of the two brothers. He was impudent. I didn't say impotent, impudent, I-M-P-U-D-E-N-T. He was arrogant. He was headstrong. He was all full of himself. He thought that the world revolved around him, and he had no respect for his father. That's what impudent means, all of that. All of that wrapped up is what impudent means. How do you know he was impudent? Because he says to his father, I want what's coming to me now. Understand. He's talking about his inheritance. He has no right to it. As long as the father is alive, he has no right to it. He doesn't care. You might know somebody like that. He doesn't care. I can't wait. I need it all right now. He didn't just go and ask politely. He demanded. He insisted that the father give it to him, and without argument, without pushback, the father divides his estate. Understand, there are two sons listed in the parable, and so according to the custom of of Judaism, the estate would be divided not in half, but in thirds, because the older son gets two-thirds of the estate when there's two children. The older son gets gets a double portion. So a double portion would be two-thirds, whereas the younger son would get one-third. The younger son knew that he was only getting one-third. He he doesn't have an argument with that. His point is, it's mine. I want it. I don't want to wait for it. I want it right now. And the father divides the estate, and he gives the young man that which would have been his had the father died. And immediately, the boy packs up all his stuff, and goes to a distant land, goes to a place where nobody knows who he is, is, nobody knows who his father is, where he can do what he wants to do. I want to get out from under my father's influence, I want to get out from under my father's thumb, I want to go someplace where I can do what I want to do and not worry about who's looking at me and say, ain't you so-and-so's child? I can't believe I see you doing that. I'm gonna go back and tell someone. He he don't want to hear any of that. So he goes off to a place where nobody knows who he is and he immediately throws all the stuff away got got it in the morning and by evening half of it was gone and within a week all of it was gone and he didn't know how he was going to make it he lost everything king james version says he lost it in riotous living but 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 the message version says he wasted everything he had. I, I actually like that version better because when you say riotous living, somebody will say, Well, you know, I, I wouldn't engage in riot. You, you, you find it hard to identify with riotous living. But I know you don't have a problem identifying with waste. Because all of us waste. All of us take stuff and we know we ought to do one thing with it, and we do something else all of us are guilty of wasting from time to. he wasted everything not a little bit of it all of it which means he wasn't good at a lot but he was good at wasting because he threw it all away and as things would happen the moment he was without stuff that's when famine hit the land Which means not only did he not have anything, but nobody else had anything either. Couldn't go and borrow from anybody. Couldn't go stay with anybody. Everything was in a bad way. And he found himself having to sign on and work. And look at what the text says. He signed on with a citizen there. Don't miss that. That's important. Because the assumption of the story is that these two young men were raised in a Jewish family, in a Hebrew family, by a Hebrew father. When they go to a distant country, they're going to a non-Jewish family. They're going to a Gentile family. And if it's one thing we know about Judaism, we know that Jews thought they were better than Gentiles. And yet, since he has thrown everything away, He has to sign on into the employ of a citizen of that country, of a Gentile, of one who inherently is less than him. Jesus Remember, parables are are made up stories and Jesus makes the story fit what he wants to say. What is he trying to say here? He's trying to say, be careful, holier than thou folk, because you might find yourself needing the folk that you think you so much holier than. Old folk used to say it this way, be careful how you treat folk on the way up. Because you gonna have to deal with all them same folk on the way down. He's making a point. Je- Je- Jesus is making this thing fit. And, and, and so he signs on with, with, with this non-Jew, with this Gentile, and, and he agrees that he would feed the pigs. That, 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 that's another indignation in the story. Jews considered pigs, pork, swine, unclean. They, they, not only did they not eat pork, they did not handle pork. They did not handle pigs. Now, I know some of y'all who think y'all keeping yourselves healthy don't want to eat pig, that's right, send all the bacon to me, I'll eat it all for you. But, 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 but he, he, he ends up having to work with pigs. Stuff that he thought was less than stuff that he thought was beneath him. He has to work with them. He has to care for pigs. Think about that. Jesus is saying that, 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 that when hard times come, it will cause such indignation that the thing that you said you would never do. Anybody here ever said, I'd never do this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd never do that. I'll never do the other. Be careful what you say you'll never do. My mom used to tell me all the time, don't, don't ever say what you'll never do. She said, there were were three things I said I would never do. This is her talking to me when I was a child. There were three things I said I would never do. She said, I would never live in the South. I would never send my children to a segregated school. And I would never marry somebody younger than me. And she did all three. She, she, She was raised in Tucson, Arizona. But when she met my father, they moved back to Baton Rouge. My daddy was two years younger than my mama. So she married somebody who was younger than she was. He moved her back to the South. And the first nine years of my schooling was spent at Southern Lab, which was a segregated school. She said, don't ever say what you ain't gonna do. Somebody here has, has their own story about what you said you were never gonna do. I'm pretty sure this young man said, I'd never be in a position where I had to deal with pigs dirty no good low down stinky sweaty swine and yet his job was to feed pigs and guess what else he was jealous of what the pigs were eating he was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. I don't understand that no one would give him any. If, if, if you in the pig slop and the corn cobs are in the pig slop, why don't you just reach down into the slop and pull up? But, 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 but Jesus is framing the story the way he wants to frame it. And so he says nobody would give him any. And then the next thing Jesus says, and I'm trying to rush through this part because y'all know this part. I'm trying to get to the back end of the story. Uh, uh, but, but, But he says, this brought him to his senses. He came to himself, King James Version says. And he says, all these farmhands, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going home. Understand, this this is an honorable thing for this young man to do. I'm going home. And when I go home, I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my daddy, I sinned against God and I sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you could find it within you to treat me as one of your hired servants, I'll be grateful. Now, it's important that you understand what Jesus is doing here. Jewish forgiveness is very different from Christian forgiveness. And Jesus here is setting the contrast between Jewish forgiveness and Christian forgiveness. Jewish forgiveness was based on something called remuneration. I always have to say it slowly because I want to put the "n" where the "m" belongs it's not remuneration it's remuneration remuneration means that I am indebted to give back to you the value of what it is I took from you and if I can't restore the that's where you get the whole Old Testament idea of an eye for an eye a tooth for I know y'all familiar with that right y'all been saying that ever since y'all were school children An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Y'all don't read the whole thing because it goes all the way to say a life for a life. Y'all stop at eyes and teeth. (laughs) But, but, But it goes all the way to a life for a life. Because the whole idea is I have to give back to you what you suffered in loss, in damages because of me. But the son knows I can't. Recoup your loss. I took a third of your estate. And there is no way on earth that I can give back to you what I took. So I'm not going to even come and try that. If you, just, if you could just treat me like one of the servants, that'll be good enough. If you could find it in your heart. To, 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 to allow me to stay. I, yeah, see, that's where y'all get this thing when y'all pray about somewhere around the throne. When I come to the end of my journey and the road runs out, when they've called me everything but a true born child of God, when my tongue must cleave to the roof. But it takes five minutes for us to close a prayer. <laughs> but that, that, that's where we get this whole idea of being somewhere around the throne. We, we draw that from this parable anywhere on the estate, daddy, will be good enough because I know that I don't belong in the house anymore. I'll be doggone. I'm going into heaven and I'm going to be sitting front row center. I don't know where y'all are going to be sitting. I'm going to be front row center because I'm his child and I belong in the house. And I know that because of what happens when the boy comes back. Here's where we preachers get happy i can see the child coming over the hill and the father was sitting in his rocking chair going back and forth and he saw a shadow in the distance and the shadow looked familiar and the closer he got the more the father began to realize this was my boy and he gets up and he runs to the boy and the father and the son embrace. now to the son's credit to the son's credit, he sticks to the speech that he started. When he was in the pigsty, he says, this is what I'm going to say to my father. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And when he gets to his father, he says, father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Again, To the boy's credit, he stuck to the speech. He recognized what he had done. He recognized how wrong he had been. And he doesn't try to prevail on his father's compassion, on his father's kindness, on his father's love. He says, just let me hang around the estate. But the father would have none of that. And in doing this, Jesus is saying the forgiveness of God goes beyond our expectation. Hear me. Some of us are still living with guilt over stuff that we did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. You name the, 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 the year when it happened. And you, you have not forgiven yourself but God has forgiven you. Your family has not forgiven you because every time y'all get together, it's getting close to Thanksgiving time. Every time y'all get together, somebody's going to bring it. Now, you know so-and-so coming to the house and I I don't really want so-and-so in my house because you know what happened in 75 when they came over to the house. (laughs) Every time they get together, it's always a mess because somebody's going to bring it up again. Folk will never let you past what you did. You will never let you past what you did. But God has already gotten past what you did. Listen to to, to how Peterson puts it. Verse 22. He says, but the father wasn't listening. Hear that. The father, the the boy had prepared a speech. And I can imagine all the way home, he was practicing the speech. Make sure I got every word just the way I want it to be said. The father wasn't listening to any of it at all. Because the father had already made up his mind what forgiveness he was going to offer, regardless of what the boy asked. Did you hear that? As my friend James Terrence used to say, I think I just said something. He had already decided the forgiveness he was going to give before the boy even had sense enough to ask for any forgiveness at all. Paul says, God loved us so much. That while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. He'd already decided the form of the forgiveness before we even had sense enough to ask. And the forgiveness of God goes so much farther than the forgiveness that you and I are willing to offer. Because you know what you and I say? Yeah, I may forgive them, but I ain't gonna ever trust them again. I ain't gonna ever let them get that close to me again. That's how you get burned. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. I ain't gonna ever let that happen. Okay, that that that's the forgiveness that you and I offer. I'm so glad that God offers a higher quality, a more comprehensive forgiveness than you and I will offer one another. And understand now, the forgiveness. That Christ offers to us is the forgiveness that we are expected to offer one another. Now, do you know how I know that? This ain't just me talking about it. Turn back to Luke chapter 11. I'm sorry. Don't, don't turn to Luke, turn to Matthew chapter six. Luke chapter 11 includes the same prayer but it talks about something else. Turn, turn, turn to Matthew chapter six. Starting with verse seven, just to keep everything in its context. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. God, I love Peterson. I love what he says and how he puts it. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Do you see that? If it ain't your Bible. I mean, if it ain't the church's Bible. Mark that. Write that down. If you still got your beloved King James Version, it's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You need to underline that. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Then get down to verse 14. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off From God's part. That's how I know that the forgiveness that Christ shows to us is the forgiveness that He expects us to show towards one another because He says so, He taught so. So, you with your I'll forgive but never forget, or I'll forgive but I'll never trust, or I'll never let you back in again, according to Jesus. Now, I know you don't agree. I know you don't like it because you've been living for 75 years and you've been doing it your way and you ain't interested in changing. But I'm just here to tell you what the Lord said. The Lord said, if you can't get past it. If you if if you can't forgive to the place that you're willing to bring that person back in to this. What does the father do with this son? The son says, just let me stay somewhere on the estate. The father says, go get rings, go get shoes, go get a robe, go kill the fatted calf. This my son who was dead is now alive. We must celebrate. The father doesn't relegate him to the servant's quarters. The father doesn't say, Fix them on nasty, dirty clothes the best you can. The father trades out the old stuff for the new stuff. He takes all the old stuff and throws it away and gives the boy new stuff. He says, your room is just like it was when you walked out the door. You can come right on back in. I know that's an ouch for somebody in here. Because somebody in here had somebody in a room in your heart. They, they, they occupied a space in your heart and they hurt you because you let them into a space in your heart and they didn't appreciate it they didn't value it they mistreated it and you're hurt and you're wounded and you say nobody will ever get in that space okay and if somebody gets in that space it sure ain't gonna be the one who hurt me amen Jesus teaches in the story that the father brings the boy right back to where he was before he ever left. It was like it never happened. How many of us can forgive folk who hurt us like it never happened? I'll wait. I'm still waiting. I ain't seen a hand go up yet. I ain't seen nobody say amen. I ain't heard nobody say amen. Seen somebody say amen. I ain't heard nobody say amen. You know why? Because you don't agree with it. I understand that. I'm just telling you what the Lord says. I ain't telling you what Fred said because Fred's probably on your side. <laughs> but I ain't telling you what Fred said. I'm telling you what Jesus said. Jesus said while the boy was making his speech that he'd been practicing all the way home, the daddy said, I don't need to hear none of that. I got new shoes for you. I got a new ring for you. I got a new robe for you. We got the grain-fed calf, the fatted calf. We're going to kill it. We're going to call everybody together, and we're going to celebrate, because this son of mine who was dead is now alive. And the celebration started. But that's not the end of the story. That's where the preacher shouts, and y'all say amen. Amen. And y'all get ready to go home. Y'all start packing up your stuff. All right, we ready to get to the... Now, that ain't the end of the story. And I got 22 minutes to tell you the end of the story. You ready? Verse 25. All this time, his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, "Your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast. Barbecued beef. Mm, mm, that's good. Because he has him home. Safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry soul and refused to join in. His father came out, tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look, how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, if it's not the church's Bible, underline this son of yours. Uh, uh, understand. Go back up. He says when he called over one of the houseboys and asked what was going on, he told him, your brother came home. The servant called him, your brother. Pharisees. Scribes. The servant called him your brother. But when you talk to your father, the father that you shared with your brother, you wouldn't identify with him as being your brother. Instead, you said, this son of yours comes home. He's thrown away your money on whores. Shows up and you go all out with a feast. It ain't right. It ain't right, daddy. This just ain't right. Now, once again, I know how y'all feel. Some of y'all sitting here saying, and the boy was right too. It ain't right. Come on, Rev. You know that ain't fair. That boy stayed home. He did everything his daddy told him to The other boy left and ran away from home. Let, let, let me put this before you. And I preach this once or twice. This older boy was as lost at home as the younger child was lost away from home. He was as lost and perhaps in the 19 minutes I got left. I can make the argument that he was even more lost than the boy who left home. Let's start with this. He was the older brother. Anybody in here the older sibling? You know that the older sibling carries greater responsibility, right? I, and you didn't ask for it. You didn't ask to be born first or whatever. But but that's generally the way it works. The oldest sibling is usually tasked with the greatest amount of responsibility because it is assumed that because you are older, you know more. So so, <laughs> it is assumed that you know more. So 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 let's start with the fact that the older brother knew better than what he was saying. He understood more than he was letting on because he was letting his emotions overrule his knowledge. Church, Christian folk, saved folk, are we guilty of letting our emotions overrule our knowledge how is it that we can come to church Sunday in and Sunday out and come to Bible study in the middle of the week and come to choir rehearsal on Tuesday night and on Thursday night and sing Zion songs and listen to sermons and go to Sunday school lesson and and do all of this stuff we do and still not know the love of God and still not know what it is that God expects of us. Still not know where salvation comes from. You are not saved by works. You are saved by grace, through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. In other words, you ain't got nothing to brag on. And if you're older, you ought to know better. You ought to know there ain't nothing to you. You ought to know that all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. You ought to know that there is none righteous, no, not one. You ought to know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You ought to know that man born of a woman hath but a short time to live and that is filled with much trouble. You ought to know. And it's not that you don't know. It's that you have allowed your emotions to overrule the knowledge that Christ has given to you. The boy is the older brother, but, 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 but in that he was older, he should have known better. Second thing I want you to see is that the boy is angry not just with his brother, but he's angry with the father. He's angry with the father. I could halfway understand being put off with the brother. But for what reason is he angry with the father? Let me suggest why he's angry with the father. He's angry with the father because he wants the father to feel about the brother the way he feels about the brother. Oh, Jesus is getting close now. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were mad with Jesus because he didn't treat these publicans and sinners and tax collectors and drunkards and gluttons the way they thought he should treat them. They have substituted their value system for God's value system. Church, Christians, saints of God, are we guilty of trying to substitute our value system for God's value system? God told me to tell you, I get scared every time somebody says that to me. The Lord told me to tell you. Be careful about substituting your value because let me, let me tell you something about your value system. Your value system is skewed, your value system is prejudicial, your value system is discriminatory, your value system is corrupt. Ultimately, your value system is inferior to God. And when you substitute your value system for God, you're gonna always be mad. Because God's value system is so much higher. Now, let me let me say this to you. Got 14 minutes left. Let me say this to you. You ought to be glad his value system is higher than yours. Because just like you trying to keep somebody else out, guess what? There was somebody, a few somebodies, who tried to keep you out, too. You, You didn't make somebody's list. You didn't pass somebody's litmus test. You don't belong in the church. You don't belong in the choir. You don't belong in the pulpit. You don't belong in the deacon ministry. How dare they teach Sunday school? They ain't all that. Amen. Somebody substituted an inferior value system on you. And God overruled it. And God says, I got my own value system. Do You know what my value system is? Whosoever will. Whosoever will, let them come and drink freely from the fountain of life. You know what my value system is? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting Like This boy wanted to substitute his value. He was mad with the father because the father used a different value system from his. Because by his value system he could justify his anger. And that leads to my third, speculation. Or as my grandmother would say, speculation. And that is this, this brother had become so comfortable in his hate that there was no room for love. Are we guilty of being so comfortable in our hate that there's no room in our hearts for love? Have we been feeling the same way for so long about the same people? That it's been passed on from one generation to another, from parent to child, and we just think it's right. We haven't even given any thought to it. It's just the way that it is. Well, let me suggest to you, if you're comfortable in hate, you're in a bad place. Because you can't be saved hating folk. Can't do it. You know how I know? Because the scripture says so. Turn your Bibles to 1 John. Chapter 4. Starting with verse 7, just to keep it in its context. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other. Let us continue to love each other. Let us continue to love each other. Since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. I didn't say it. John, said it. John said it. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So, you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live Through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Do you see that? That's how I can say it. That's my my validation from my perspective. If you are so comfortable in hate, I don't hate anybody, I just don't like anybody. I Just don't wanna be bothered with them. Love means that you gotta be bothered with folk. Paul says, I don't have time to turn to it, Paul says that that, that when you have the love of God, you will make time for folk, You you will exercise patience For folk who get on your nerves. This brother was just as lost at home. His, His claim to salvation was that I never left the house. But Jesus says you can be in the house and still be lost. And we have to be careful, we have to be careful that we are in the house, and yet we are still lost. He closes by saying, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he is found. The thing that I wanna stop with is this. Jesus makes the point in the way he closes this story to say saving him doesn't diminish you in any way, shape, or form. The father senses in the brother that by accepting the son who left home and came back, that somehow he was going to be diminished. Somehow he was going to be less than. The father assures him, everything I have is yours. I'm not taking anything from you to give to your brother. I'm not making you less than in order to bring him in. So you don't have a reason to be angry. For some of us, we think that because some folk come in, somehow or other, we are diminished. We're made less than. I think a lot of that has to do with with the secularization of of the world in which we live. This idea of exclusivism, that we have to measure up in order to be a part of something. You can't be a part of certain clubs and groups if you don't measure up. Folk have to vote you in. Y'all remember when we used to have to vote folk in here at the church, right? Past officers and members, I move that Sister Cynthia Miller be made a full member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church with all the rights and privileges thereunto. Past officers and members, I second the motion. Properly moved and seconded that Sister Cynthia Miller become a part of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church with all the rights and privileges thereunto. All those in favor, please say aye. All those opposed. Y'all remember that, don't you? (laughs) Here's the thing. Which one of us can say no? No. No. Which one of us can say nay? We, we, We come from a world where you have to be voted into stuff. You have to qualify. You can't just be a part of a fraternity. You got to measure up. I was talking to somebody today about how crazy it is. Y'all let somebody put a brand on you. you. this is The year of our Lord, 2019, and somebody takes a cattle brand and puts it on your body. Have you lost your mind just so I can be a part of a fraternity? Really? I'm a part of something bigger than any of that. And the Lord didn't tell me I had to get cattle branded to be a part of it. You must be crazy. You bring that thing. You have lost your mind. We, we, we think that, 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 that by keeping other folk out, we make ourselves look better when really all you do is make yourself look foolish. Do you know who you are? Do do you know that the Bible says, y'all love the King James Version, right? The Bible says you ain't even dirt. Bible says you dust. Dust is lower. At least there's some, some consistency to dirt. Ain't no consistency to dust. From dust you came to dust you will return. You trying to act like your dust is better than somebody else's. Dust. Do you know who you are? It does not take away from you To add to God's kingdom. In fact, that's why we're here. We're here to add to God's kingdom. So when we miss out on somebody because we let them wander away, as in the first parable, or we mishandle them, as in the second parable, or we don't receive them when they're ready to come back, as in the third parable, that ain't on God, that's on us. There might be somebody here tonight who, after having been a part of this Bible study experience, would want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We're going to stand together and sing a verse of Just As I Am. And if there's one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood washes. repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good night.